Good morning. Hope everyone's well. Good. Wonderful. You all look pleasant. I always get a warm welcome every time I come here, which is amazing, which is great. Not that I get hostile welcomes when I go other places, but um, <laughs> it's always good um, to be here. I was looking back at my, at my calendar. It's been about three months since I've been here when I preached last time. That felt like forever. Um, hopefully, uh, it won't be that long again before I see you all again and, and come back here. Um, thank you, Joan, for le- leading us in worship. That was really wonderful, really powerful. Thank you so much for that. Um, this morning's text is from Romans chapter 8 and verses 1 to 17. So, you can turn with me in your Bibles or for some of the younger ones among us, um, switch on your Bibles <laughs> on your phone, great, awesome, on your tablets or whatever it is. Um, are you going to tweet as well? Are you going to send, share stuff? With, no, no, you're not, you're not that modern. <laughs> awesome. I've been to a few churches uh, recently where you know, the, 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 vicar, the vicar or whoever is preaching and, and some of the guys in the congregation are tweeting the message to their friends and publishing it um, on social media and all that kind of wonderful stuff. And uh, back in my day when I was growing up in, in church, uh, that never used to happen at all. Times have changed. I feel like a dinosaur almost sometimes. <laughs> and I'm only in my 20s. <laughs> Oi, what are you laughing at? (laughs) Right, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And here's the main text this morning, verses 14 to 17. For those who are led, underline that word led, by the Spirit of God, are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba. Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these glorious verses. It can be a mouthful, but let's help us, Father, as we as we seek the true meaning of these verses, the true meaning and the true depth of your word. Encourage us, Father. Challenge us. Let us not leave here today, Lord, being the same as we came in this morning. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh in us. Liberate us. There is no condemnation when we are in you. Thank you, Father, for that freedom. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Amen. A mouthful, isn't it? Verses 1 to 17. And sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. Um, And even though the main text this morning is on verses 14 to 17, we really need to start with a pretext to really understand and really unravel what Paul is trying to say here to the Romans. And Paul starts in verse 1 of chapter 8, saying, Therefore, there is now no, absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know that whenever a verse starts with therefore, we even have to look even further behind. So let's go through for the next uh, five or six hours, shall we, um, understanding chapters 1 to 7 in minutiae detail. (laughs) Let's just do a quick um, whistle-stop tour. Chapter 1, Paul talks about God's wrath against sinful humanity. Chapter 2 talks about God's righteous judgment, then talks about the Mosaic law and how imperfect it is and how it led to condemnation. Chapter 3 talks about that there is no one righteous. All have turned away and have become worthless. No one does good and so on and so forth. And fast forward to to an infamous chapter 7 where Paul says, uh, talks about the law and sin and he talks about his own struggle with his sinful nature being a slave to sin given that he's living in the flesh. So he has this tension there about wanting to do good, but evil is right there with him. 
So in chapter 7, verses 24 to 25, um, he says, What a wretched man that I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he goes on and says, In my mind I am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Very challenging and very difficult chapters before, um, went beforehand than this. But there's such great news in chapter 8. And we can start and even stop in the first verse. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This morning the title of my sermon is The Holy Spirit and, and the Assurance that he gives. But we can't really talk about the Holy Spirit and go into detail about the relationship that we have with God and with the Holy Spirit before we talk about condemnation. Because if we are feeling condemned, then we cannot be liberated to be living a life filled with Jesus. By living a life being led by the Holy Spirit. If we're feeling condemned, we feel pressured. There's a lack of self-worth. Have you ever felt condemned? Maybe as a child, as a young adult, in relationships, whether in a marriage. Maybe you've committed a sin. And you think, God can never forgive me for that. Hell no. And sometimes, a lot of us as Christians say, well, you know what? Yeah, I know that God has forgiven me, but I really, I really can't forgive myself. The good news comes in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 19. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his, in, of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Isn't that great news? We don't need to keep on bringing back up our sins to God. Because he's completely forgotten them. And hurled them into the depths of the sea. Or perhaps someone condemned you. Maybe not self-condemnation. I remember I was walking past a school um, recently, which will remain nameless. And I saw in the, in the car park a mother walking with her, with her child. And I can't really repeat too much of what she was saying to that child. But you can just imagine. You're worthless. I wish I never had you. You're awful. I'm so disappointed with you. Or in you. Can you imagine that child growing up? A non-starter. I mean, he has to fend for himself through life. Fighting this condemnation. A lot of times the things that people say to us 
have such long-lasting impact on our lives. You see, so it was in the Bible that Paul was talking about, dealing with the law. Many of God's people just saw this God as a God of judgment. And there was always going to be some law that would catch them out. Whether it was the Ten Commandments or don't do this and don't do that and, you know, if, if you're seeing your menses or whatever, you know, don't do this and don't, don't interact with other people and all sorts of other laws. And they had to keep on making atonement for their sins and going through a priest and going to the veil and into the inner sanctuary and all that stuff. Always constantly feeling condemned. And that is why Paul in chapter 8 starts off in the first verse saying, there is no condemnation anymore. Previous, verse, previous chapters talked about the law and sin and death, but now guys, hey, listen, feel liberated. The Holy Spirit is in you. If you've given yourself to Jesus, God dwells in you and you're liberated. Just be led by the Spirit of God. And, be, and you are called children of God. No condemnation. And we absolutely have to start there. Before we start talking about the Holy Spirit. And the effects that that has on our lives. That He has on our lives. So if there is anyone here this morning feeling challenged by that and having any kind of battles on condemnation or whatever, um, or just a lack of self-worth or just difficulty, difficulties thinking about life, um, please feel free to come up afterwards and speak to any one of the leaders here or me and we can just spend some time um, praying with you. But we absolutely have to start there. Now we can go into the text. And there are three main points I'd like to um, talk about this morning. First of all, in verse 14, how our behavior points to whom we belong. Secondly, verses 15 to 16, how we're his children and not slaves. And then verse 17, the benefit of being God's children and what that means for us. So let's start with verse 14. There's an assurance of belonging. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I remember when my, when my children um, were younger. They're still young. <laughs> still babies. The youngest is eight. Oh gosh, I still have another you know, 20 years before he leaves home. Um, <laughs> at least it feels like that. It feels like forever. Um, and I remember we used to go to Lake Meadows. And, and we'd watch the ducks and the ducklings and how they would um, swim about in, in the pond, in the lake, and so on. And we'd never feed, feed the ducks, clearly. We, we can't feed them or weren't allowed to. And I would always teach them, well, not always, sometimes. I'd be the, kind of like the boring dad and talk about um, life's lessons and talking about, you know, following, uh, looking at the ducks and learning about things in life and see their very calm exterior above the lake, but underneath they're paddling like mad, crazy. And for sometimes, that's what life is like. 
And when you're in a difficult situation, you know, be, be calm. But a lot of things are going on underneath. But you always see these ducklings following their mom, don't you? The mother duck. And at no point in any of our conversations were we unsure about who these ducklings belonged to. They were constantly following their mom. Similarly, similarly with parents and children, it's in our DNA to pass down our DNA and our behavioral patterns to our children, whether we like, them or like it or not, the good and the bad um, behaviors and habits. I have some bad habits <laughs> um, that I've passed on to, to my elder son, and one of them is um, just one you know, of the many. <laughs> um, is I'm a little bit untidy. Um, I'm sure my wife would say that you're very untidy, Norbert. But um, I'm a little bit untidy. And both our boys, but particularly the eldest one, um, his room is a constant mess. And every time we tidy it back up, it becomes messy again. I'm also very competitive. I play a lot of table tennis. Um, I play very competitively. I play for two different clubs in Essex. And um, I'm very competitive and I always want to win. Always want to win. It's not about the taking part that matters to me. <laughs> I'm not in it for the taking part, mate. <laughs> I want to win. I want to win the competition. I want to win the tournament. Uh, and if I only reach the semifinals, I'm just like, oh, God. Oh, seriously. And it takes me a few days to get over it. My sons are very competitive at football, at cricket, and sport, and so on. And my daughter takes after me and my, and my wife as well. You know, my, my daughter is big into the whole performing arts. And I used to love performing and, and singing with choirs and worship leading and all that stuff. And she's really into that. My, my sons aren't. When we're led by the Spirit of God, it is natural for us to be like Him. It's natural for us to follow Him. And that's really, really important. And one of the ways in which we demonstrate that we're children of God is by our behaviors. I see a lot of celebrity Christians on telly. Some big performers, some big artists. Yeah, I'm a Christian and they're singing worship songs. And, and you see the news in the, in the previous six months of, of them smoking weed and and doing all sorts of stuff, and, and shouting at people, and carrying on, and whatever. How, 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 do you, how do you reconcile that? Saying that you're a Christian on one hand, and your lifestyle is completely different. And I'm not saying that we are going to be, by any stretch of any imagination, being perfect people. But if we're children of God, at least an element of our lifestyle needs to reflect those who we follow, the person who we claim is a master of our destiny. If we're children of God and we're led by the Spirit of God, then we should behave accordingly. It's not about following the rules. It's not at all about that. It's not at all about not smoking and not taking drugs and don't do this and don't do that and be Mr. and Mrs. Perfect. But a lot of people look the part and dress the part. But they aren't at all 
real or genuine Christians. Secondly, there's this assurance of sonship and daughtership. We are children of God. Verses 15 to 16 say that we are children, not slaves. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And for me, as children of God, there are three main things I want to draw out here in these couple of verses. First of all, we have a relationship with God. You can't claim to be a child of someone or that you have a dad or a mum and you don't have a relationship with them. John 1 verse 12 talks about those who receive and believe in Jesus. God gives the right to become children of God. The famous John John Wesley, um, who many of you know, who started off the Methodist church, he started his walk with God trying to be a professional Christian, almost a perfect one. He visited the inmates of prisons in Oxford. He took pity on a lot of the children who lived in the slums, the ghettos. He He provided them with food, clothing, even sponsored their education. He even observed two different Sabbaths, Saturdays and Sundays. He was like the perfect Christian. And even though he was trying to avoid, um, avoid being like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and being, you know, shouting about their love for God and so on um, along the streets, he was trying to be this perfect person. He read the Bible every day, ten times a day, and he fasted and prayed. And in his own words, John Wesley said that he realized that even then, he just had the faith of a slave, of a servant, not that of a son. See, there are many people who try to work themselves up, trying to be this perfect person. And they try to earn God's favor. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. And they end up burning themselves out. And actually, what I realize over my lifetime is that, this very young lifetime, that I, <laughs> short lifetime that I've had so far, um, is that as soon as any difficulty comes up in their lives, you can easily identify the true Christians from those who aren't. I'm not saying that we're not going to get battered and, and pushed down and all that stuff and face persecution and, and face difficult times. But the first sign of any little negativity, they just fall apart. When you have a relationship with God, and you're not necessarily just trying to please him and be a professional, perfect person. Then you can relate to him 
as a child. And there's a big difference, isn't there, between being a slave and being a child. On one hand, a slave or or a servant has a contract with their master. And, And a contract is cold and meaningless. But they have to follow these things and these rules in order to please their master. But when you have a relationship, that's different. That's a warm, cuddly feeling. And a meaningful thing. It's not a contract, it's not cold and calculated, but it's a warm and meaningful relationship that we have with God. You see, for me, Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about us trying to, trying to please someone and work ourselves up to, to, to please this master and please the, whoever, whoever, whoever this God is. See, other religions are like that. I remember <clears throat> telling some friends of mine that, that I used to have a client um, in Nigeria. So I used to visit Nigeria uh, probably about three or four times a year um, a few years ago. And <clears throat> half of them were Muslims and half of them were, were Christians. <clears throat> and the Muslims, especially the genuine ones or the ones who are trying to please their God, um, they would fast four or five times a day, specific times. And we couldn't have meetings at 3.13 in the afternoon <laughs> because there were particular times that they knew that they had to go outside and kneel down on the mats and, 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 and pray. And, and I felt as if, and I'm not saying anything bad about Muslims, but I'm just, I just felt as if it was, they had to feel as if they had to do these rules or follow these rules and mechanistic behavioral patterns in order to please someone and feel pleased with themselves that they've actually done their duty. And after they've finished praying, they would go and smoke and, and swear and, and, and behave badly with all the people and so on and so forth and probably kill someone, who knows. I'm not being flippant there, but you know, it's, it's this mechanistic thing following these rules, trying to please someone or something. But being a Christian... It's not about being religious. It's about having a relationship with God. It's a father-child relationship. So the first one is about having a relationship as children of God. The second thing is having a sense of belonging and intimacy. Paul mentioned that as part of the family of God, we can call God Abba, Father. Of course, we know that here, you know, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And Paul couldn't find the right word. Don't call him Father or whatever. Call him, uh, uh, I can't find the right word, Abba. He had to refer to the Aramaic and say, Abba, which meant closeness, intimacy. It meant Dad. Just a few months ago, um, our Queen... Um, celebrated her 92nd birthday at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, I don't know any of you have, pl- have plans to celebrate your birthday in the Royal Albert Hall soon. <laughs> I 
And um, <clears throat> one of our sons, Prince Charles, um, said, um, he, was, he was kind of doing a little um, speech at the beginning, and he said, Your Majesty, Mummy. I can imagine a 70-year-old man <laughs> calling his mother Mummy in front of millions of people. But it is similar with us. It's a sense of authoritarianship and so on, an authority figure, your majesty, and, and you're awesome and amazing, and you have this authority. But mommy or daddy, there's this intimacy. He's not a gazillion miles away somewhere off in the universe. He's right there living with us, inside us, by his Holy Spirit, or through his Holy Spirit. I don't know my father. And growing up, and I never ever met him, and growing up um, as a child, I, didn't ever, I never necessarily missed um, not necessarily knowing him. Because, he, you know, if you didn't really have something, you can't really miss it, in a sense. Um, and it wasn't until my teenage years, my late teenage years, not that long ago now, um, I, my mom and I started having this, you know, kind of, Arguments, or shall I say, heated debates. And um, as any, I guess any typical teenager, and I wanted to have my own way, and yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> but, but there was this constant tension at home. And, and, I, and then I started missing the not having a father. Because I said, well, if there was a third party here, you would see sense, mum, you know. <laughs> He, he would be on my side or something. I, I would never say that to her because she was really caught up about it for many, many years. <clears throat> um, so on one hand, I was having a challenge at home. And on the other hand, <clears throat> I was starting for a really close relationship um, in, in my walk with God. I started off, um, I became a Christian, I think, anyway, um, at, at a very young age. I grew up in the Catholic Church as an altar boy, as an altar servant, and, I went, I was, um, and, and later on, <clears throat> I kind of stopped going to the Catholic Church. Uh, so I don't really have anything bad to say about the Catholic Church, certainly not in the Caribbean anyway. Um, <clears throat> but then I started going to a charismatic church, a more Pentecostal church. It's very lively and, and so on, and it's very different, um, shall we say, as many of you know. And, and, and I was... And I was beginning to worship, and I, was, and I was a choir director, and I was vice president at my, my universities on Christian fellowship, and, and I was just having a great time with God. So on one hand, I was having tension at home, and I was having um, really growing in my faith and in my walk with God. And I, re- I remember we, uh, we lived probably about a 15 to 20 minutes walk away from the lecture halls at the uni. And about 10, 10 to 15 minutes um, of that walk, there was no one else around in early morning. And I could sing my heart out. And no one else would hear me. And I would pray and I would do all sorts of stuff and I would talk to God and all sorts of stuff going on. And then one morning in the midst of all this chaos, I was kind of almost arguing with God. You know, oh, this father figure that I didn't have. Um, why did you let that happen? And all that kind of stuff. 
And I remember very, very vividly, about the age of 19 or 20, God just stopped me in my tracks and said, I'm your dad. I'm your dad. I've always been your dad. I am your dad. And I will always be your dad. My response wasn't necessarily the most holy response at the time. (laughs) Really? Seriously, dude? (laughs) You know, you're not here physically. You're not here physically in the midst of my arguments with my mom. You're not here. I can't see you. I can... You know, I can pray to you and all that, and I know your hair, blah, 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 blah. But how can you be real as a father, as a dad to me? But for the very first time in my life, I felt vulnerable. And I felt a closeness with God that I never, ever felt before. It took time to work that through. But over the future weeks and months and years, over time I felt God really close that empty gap that I had in my life. You see, our Heavenly Father wants to be our dad. He wants that intimacy with us. A sense of belonging. And any gap that we have in our own personal lives He just closes it up. He just closes it up and says, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm your dad. And so life through the Holy Spirit is not about working ourselves up. It's about a relationship. Life in the Holy Spirit is not about having a relationship with a father figure. It's about an intimate, personal belonging. Life through the Holy Spirit is not about condemnation. It's about a sense of purpose that we have as children of God. How do you know that you're a child of God? Well, you just know. You just know that you know that you know. And that might sound flippant, but actually it is so true. If you're a child of God and the Holy Spirit is in you, you just know. I just know that I know that I know that I'm a Christian and that I'm loved by God and that he's my dad. He's walking with me everywhere I go, all the time. And my relationship with him, you know, sometimes I have arguments with him. And that's all right. And I'm comfortable with that. Because we're in a relationship. We're in a relationship. So firstly, we talked about us being not condemned. We have a sense of belonging when we're with God. We have an assurance that we're children and not slaves. And finally, one of the benefits of being children of God is that we have an assurance of 
security. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 8 says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I remember reading um, a note somewhere recently that says, We're no longer slaves, but sons and daughters, and we will receive the inheritance Christ deserves because Christ received punishment that we deserved. What is this inheritance? You ever wondered what is it that we're inheriting as Christians, as children of God? Matthew 25, verse 34, says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, which is the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Isn't it fantastic to know that we're going to be inheriting the kingdom, God's kingdom? I remember when I was here last time, I mentioned that heaven isn't about... Heaven isn't your reward or your inheritance. Heaven is the place where you receive your reward or your inheritance. There's such a difference there. And under Roman law, an adopted son, as we are adopted children... They take on their father's name and they inherit their entire estate when the father dies. And we, as Christ's children, is flipped around. When we die, we inherit the entire kingdom of God that he has prepared for us from the beginning of time. Amen. So I just want to wrap up. But just saying, embrace the fact that there is no condemnation. None whatsoever. No matter what it is that we've done in the past, or what anyone has confessed over our lives and said to us, there is no condemnation at all for us. And we can live confidently, knowing that He has already forgiven us of all our past, our present, and our future sins, and hurled them into the bottom of the sea, never to be brought up again, forgets them for eternity. And we can live out these, these truths on a daily basis. We're no longer slaves or servants, no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of God. And as children, we should be spending our time with our dad, learning from him, seeking his counsel, praying first, the first action that we do, that we take, whether it's a big decision that we need to make or a small one, the first thing that we should do is to pray. Not the last resort. God, what are you saying in this situation? Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, 
early in my Christian walk, uh, there was a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit and, and conviction. Feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. Just a sense that the Holy Spirit, that God is just guiding us in one direction and not the other. You just sense it. You just know that you know that you know. You just sense it. That is conviction. That, that silent, still voice in the back of our minds, in our ears. That conviction that the Lord leads us. And it's a Christianity of adoption, of sonship, of restoration, of love, rather than religion or duty. And finally, Philip Yancey, a famous American author who wrote um, a best-selling book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace? Such a powerful book. And my men's group um, recently, probably about last year, we did that book and we covered it through and we went through that entire video series about talking about God's amazing grace. And has had such an impact on our lives. On our lives. And immediately after that book, he, read, he, he um, wrote this other book called Vanishing Grace. And he said, if he could sum up the whole Bible in one statement, it would be this. God gets his family back. The whole Bible is about God going after his children. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to be real with him. He wants a personal, intimate relationship with us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that we can be called children of God for those of us who have given our lives to you, who have chosen to walk this path. It's not a frivolous, it's not about being religious, so it's not about working ourselves up, trying to please you. You have already loved us before we were born. It's just a statement of fact, and we thank you, Father, that we have that assurance. Help us, Lord, to live a life that's real. Yes, it's, that's pleasing to you, but that's real. And we have a regular communion with you. And we can live a life being led by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, breathe new life into these walls, into our bones, into our bodies. And just demonstrate to us, O oh God, how much you love us. And we just want to love you back in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.